There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon talking about everything town planning. So are you a mum and dad per se developer out there that's wanting to take on the world and maybe subdivide or knock something down and build something else? Well, we need a development application. We need council approval. We need to check for easements. We need to understand if there's any bushfire constraints, heritage and all these things. So a lot to unpack. So I'm going to let Lauren do that for us today. Let's get into it. Lauren Power, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Lauren's a long-time listener, first-time caller. Yes. And I thought I would grab your expertise and in this really special town planning piece. So we'll start off by asking you, what is a town plan or what does a town planner do? Yeah, so a town planner identifies site constraints and helps clients prepare applications for council lodgement for their developments. You have private town planners, so they help clients with the development process and before we lodge to council and package it all up, identifying the site constraints, the plans they're wanting to do and what they're looking at doing with that site. Then you've also got uh, the town planners at council in the development sector. They would be the ones that would be looking at issuing the approval and um, assessing your application. Cool. So I'm I'm out there. I've got a, uh, a renovation or a constructional uh, renovation I want to do or build a granny flat or subdivide, whatever it may be. When would I first engage someone like yourself? Yes. So the best part to engage us would be from the very start when you're thinking about it, looking at getting quotes on how much this is going to cost, what we're looking at doing at the site. From straight on then we can see, okay, what's the permissibility? What are we looking at doing at that site? How would we then lodge it to council? What plan? we need and then looking, are we in a bushfire zone? Do we need any ecology, flood prone? So getting them key stakeholders involved first rather than lodging to council and, you know, trying to figure it out from there where we go. Sure. So the main reason I would use someone like yourself as a, uh, a private town planner, you, you don't work for the council, you, you've got your own private business. I, w- I would use you mainly because I don't want to go to council and meet with their town planner and stuff it up or, or take the process much longer than it normally would if I was to use someone like yourself, yeah? Yes, that's correct. You could always go to council and um, talk to their duty planner at any time. They would go through what you would need um, to an extent, but if you're wanting to fast track the process, know what key stakeholders are involved, have someone write the statement of environmental effects for you, which in New South Wales is required to lodge, basically saying how your development is going to comply with the relevant legislation. That is something your town planner in a private consultancy would manage the whole process from you from start to finish. Okay. So, and you mentioned New South Wales, which is what we're in at the minute. Every state and every LGA, local council, is going to be different around the country, isn't it? So what would 
be your advice for someone out there that's living in Perth or Darwin or Hobart or Wagga or not Wagga, that's in New South Wales, but yeah, you know, it's different parts of the country. Definitely. It would still involve development approval from council. They may call it a different application instead of the statement of environmental effects, but there still would be a report that you would need to show council on how your development is complying with the zoning in their area. Mm, Okay. So it's almost like going for a job interview. You're getting all this background information ready and then you're arguing your point to be able to get approval from this governing body, which is your council, to get this thing done. Yes, that's correct. So you're showing how it's permissible with consent at your site, how you're addressing any site constraints, and then how's your development going to comply and be with the character of that area or improving that area. Okay. So I want to go back a step and and put my developer's hat on. I'm in Long Jetty at the moment in New South Wales and I'm looking to do a development project and there's a lot of us listening out there that that do want to take on this sophisticated stuff, the, the big person stuff that we've got a couple of properties but we want to maybe um, go a bit harder with, um, with greater returns per se. So could I come to you and, and say, look, Lauren, I've found this block with a house on it and it's this size and it's this street, this is the address, long before I've bought it and say, look, what do I need to take into account here? Or is that just wasting your time? No, definitely not. We get a lot of clients come to us when they're looking at purchasing property and we actually prepare advice uh, on that property that again identifies, this is what you can do. You're looking at subdividing, doing a dual lock. Okay, what's the minimum lot size there? What do we need to comply with to show, yes, you can build a dual occupancy and then subdivide? Looking through the different relevant legislations with the zoning of that block, how it would comply, any constraints we need to identify from the start to go, okay, this is what your cost could look like in reports and this is what you could be up for all up if you wanted to lodge your application and proceed with that site. Cool. Okay. So I might have two options that I'm looking at purchasing. One might be in a bushfire zone. One might be have major slope to it. One might have an easement running through it. There's a whole range of, uh, of variances there. That, that That's cool. Okay. So uh, for anyone out there thinking about that, that may be one of your first steps before you buy it because the last thing you want to do as a developer, and I did a masterclass on this when we were touring around the country, so if anyone wants that, it would be in the show notes, but we, we don't want to check all these things and meet with experts such as self after we've purchased and, and put in our offer and it's been accepted and we've gone unconditional. We want to be doing all this research early, don't we? Definitely. It makes such a huge difference and you go in prepared knowing, okay, I'm going to purchase this property. What's the constraints about it? It's bushfire prone. I'm now going to factor in different construction costs or different power ratings it's going to be. So it definitely gives you the hands up um, knowing exactly what you're going into with that property. Now, I've just finished a, a build. It's taken a good 12 months uh, and, and a lot of time and energy. The, the thing that struck me at the start and always strikes me when we do this sort of stuff is we've got the banks and, and finance in one corner. We've got a builder in another corner. And over here, we've got a designer in, in another corner. Um, and then council and town planning in the fourth corner. Yeah. And we've got to make the 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 build or the development or anything work with all four at the one time. How do we 
navigate our way through that? Definitely. We work closely with a lot of architects. So they will come to us and go, Lauren, we've got a client. They're looking at building this townhouse development at this site. Can you please do a review of these plans before we go any further and finalise any designer plans? We will review them plans, see if they're compliant. Are you varying the height? Are you varying the lot size? Are you showing your private open space, solar, shadowing, neighbouring? So we're addressing them from the start with the architect and working together more as one team approach and how we can achieve this development. Love it. That's awesome. So what would you see uh, are probably the, the main misconceptions that, that clients would have when they when they come to you? What, what are the things that they think are just standard that, hang on a minute, no, you actually can't do that? Yeah, definitely. So one of them would be them just not understanding the site or the zoning of that site. So before you purchase a site, I would definitely look at the zoning of what it's going to be and what's permissible in that area and what you would need development consent for or things that you may not need development consent for. So exempt development for say. Um, A big one can also be, oh, I've had this house here since the 80s. I'm wanting to do some renovations. All of a sudden you're bushfire prone and it's identified you're in a bushfire prone site what's the upgrades for that that you're going to need to do and comply with? Okay, so the the bushfire zoning may have changed since 1980. 100%, yeah. Like flood zones change. All changes and identifying it now with the current legislation, which we need to address. And once you're starting to do them works, we're now in 2023 and how are we complying and making sure our site And councils change their bylaws, don't they? They do, yeah. So legislation changes all the time and that's why you need to keep up to date. My mum and dad for say they built a house in the 70s, was all covered, you know, with bushland. Now it's a total different story if they wanted to renovate it. So so just quickly on the bushfire constraints and and for those of you, it's beneficial if you're living in this sort of zone or area, uh, we have what's called a bell rating, don't we? So can you explain quickly what that bell rating means. Yeah, so you can have bell rating, you have bell ratings for your site if you're identified as bushfire prone, can go from bell low, so very low, no constraints at all, to flame zone, which then would impact your build, the construction costs significantly. That all has asset protection zones around it that you need to maintain as well. Okay, so there's some misconceptions out there. And again, if we're going it alone, I'm thinking in my head, well, it's sort of like, Going and finding our own property versus using a buyer's agent. 100%. You're holding their hand through that process so that when time comes to get approval, it's going to be given because you know your stuff and you're doing it every day. Exactly. You're identifying it straight up. We have people that have gone to council, um, they've lodged a development application and it's come back with an RFI, which is like request for further information. Mm -hmm. And then they engage us and go, oh gosh, we weren't, we didn't know it was going to be all these things that would have to comply with. And that's when we can also step in. But from having it from the start, we can identify them constraints and go, look, we can justify it or show how this is going to comply without having to spend money on an extra report or being straight up to begin with and going, yes, you know, you've got high biodiversity values on your site. We're going to need an ecologist out there to review it and look at what you're doing for that development, clearing trees for say. Okay. So for everyone out there, what's high biodiversity? Yep. So high biodiversity values is land um, that is particularly sensitive for development and clearing. Depending on your site and development, this can trigger ecologists. Um, They need to come out and undertake a report, which then describes the potential effects of development on the existing habitants or species that could be found on that site. Right. Okay. So again, trying to put it in layman's terms, it's basically saying there might be koalas there. Definitely. I've had a, we've had a site before and it's got a rare orchid on there. This rare orchid only 
blossoms within August. So yes. we've got to wait for the ecologist to go out and survey that orchid to see what the development could potentially, if it could harm it or impact that orchid at all, which, wow. you know, that does put a hold on your works. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so again, thinking about the want to be developer, how do they mitigate that stuff? And, and, do they, again, going back to the whole, I've found this block, Lauren, take a look at it. Obviously, you guys would need to come out on site to, to see whether there's an orchid or a koala or a panda or whoever. Like, <laughs> um, how much, I, I suppose what I'm getting at is how far do we go down this path before we start putting in offers and buying this? 100%. So if you are looking at a site, um, I think it always helps to give your local council a call and talk to them, look, I'm just wanting to speak to a duty planner and get some advice on this site. Is there anything that I'm not aware of? And then also we can come in, actually prepare a report for you with advice. We can have a look on our end to see if anything triggers. We would come out on site, look at the slope, look at the veg, look at bushfire. It would all come up and identify to us what we need to look at and address. And obviously there is things that can pick up up along the way when you start speaking to them subconsultants, the ecologists, they go, oh, hold on, I know there's an orchid two door down on that site. We've done work there before. This could be affected. Let's talk. So it's getting the right people in the room from the start and identifying what you need or what could pop up. So engaging a town planner that's that's definitely local would be an advantage because they're working in 100%. that area. 100%. Yep. And then we also have subconsultants that we work with closely. Yeah. Okay. Great. So... When we're looking at developments, what would you say are common items that you need to address? Like is it is it easements, is it bushfire, is it flood? And I know every area mm. around the country is different, yeah. but on a global level, what would you think are, are the common ones that you would tick off straight away? Definitely you need to have stormwater. So a lot of people don't really look or think much about stormwater. They go, oh, yeah, we'll just connect it to the curb. It'll mm-hmm. be good to go. Um, back in the day, again, not something that it was a strict and governed by. Right. Looking at the topography of your site going, oh, can I charge stormwater there? Is there drainage on the site? Am I going to need to upgrade it? Am I going to need to put an easement in the back to use their drainage for stormwater. So that can become quite costly too with your drainage for the site and how you're going to address that. And that is a requirement for council having them stormwater plans pending on where you're developing. Sure. So is that the slope of the block and how it's going to slope down or up to the stormwater? Because water doesn't like running up. (laughs) Exactly. And that's when you'd engage your stormwater engineer to design them plans and look at your site and be able to identify what stormwater constraints we could be up with for that site. Sure. Okay. Because that can make a, a massive difference to your overall cost, can't it? Yes, yep, definitely. The location of where Location, that's... type of site, how you're going to dress it, you've got rainwater tanks on site, all the rest of it. Yeah, great. Okay, anything uh, Anything else? So you've got uh, stormwater is, is definitely number one or close one. to? What well, else? Then just um, we have people that purchase property in heritage conservation areas or a heritage site that comes with its own constraints as well, looking at how you're going to address the amenity. I've purchased one in a heritage conservation area and I can see when they've done renovations, just adding at the back of it, all other things they've had to address that wouldn't be in your stock standard build. Right. Okay. So you checking the the depth of what the heritage is. So if you've got a heritage overlay, in a lot of cases, if you've got a house at the front, that the facade of that house can't be altered in a dramatic way. Correct. You've got to try and maintain the, the look and feel. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So there's a lot. And, and from a research point of view, you can go on to systems and software programs like we use Archistar. We yep. can we can see if there's got a heritage overlay or a flooding or bushfire and whatever else. So we can do all those initial checks, but it's more these interesting 
intricate things that you're dealing with that can make or break a development, can't it? Definitely, even water courses. So we've had a site that has to get access to where they're building the dwelling through a water course, identifying, you know, what type of um, stream is that? Is it a first order, a second order? What construction that's going to be that the engineers to design? And then obviously the referrals to the government agency where they've got to also do their checks to make sure it complies. That goes beyond council as well. Right. Okay. Interesting stuff. Look, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and talk about the common holdups. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what would you see, Lauren, are the, the common holdups for people? Because nothing more frustrating. And, and if you're tuning in, having already done a development or even just done a renovation or built something that's required approval, the back and forth with council and the time spent in council is is two things. It's time, which is generally money. Correct. So there's that cost that blows out because we've got holding costs, but then it's the time and the stress of, of dealing with it on a daily basis when we're trying to run a life as well. So what are the common holdups, I suppose? Where, where, where do people trip up? Yeah, so people trip up at times with not supplying council with enough information for them to be able to do their assessment properly and by that's by identifying them key site constraints, your stormwater design, your architectural plans are compliant or you're addressing, you know, building height, minimum lot size, looking at your ecology, your flood prone. So identifying them site constraints, what you need to address them and then how your development is going to comply with council. They are the key spots, having them reports and then being able to show council, this is how I'm compliant with my development. Cool. And would you think that an architect would generally cover off on a lot of those things or uh, maybe there's a few missing because their interest is just to simply design this thing that looks great? Yeah, I think it's definitely a work together approach. Their expertise is in the design and, you know, the client, what they're visualising for their site. And then we would also come in and make sure it is compliant and is something that can be built on that site and in line with legislation requirements as well. Sure. So it's definitely a team approach. Yeah, which is, uh, again, comes back to that team of people from the beginning. 100%. Yeah. Um, so how do you go in terms of, all right, you've give the, given this assessment to a client, there's there's X, Y, Z, 
Do you look at how much extra that may cost the client in the development? Like yes. do you, are you part of the feasibility we study? Are. Yep. Yeah. So we give them a feasibility study. Um, our director, when he quotes all jobs, he goes, this looks like the main reports that you will need. Council may also ask for this if required. We are identifying their main reports and then the consultants that are required and giving them a rough fee proposal and managing that process with them along the way. So we would be the main point of contact and manage the development for them. Love it. Okay. So I suppose... Suppose we're we're looking generally with division or subdivisions and development and extensions etc that require uh, council approval. But how larger developments are you looking at, like your company per se, but also town planners, um, privatised town planners, how large can they go in that respect? Yeah, definitely. So we look after your mums and dads, your dual locks, your subdivisions, and then we also have developers, so doing large subdivisions, resi flat buildings, so it can go all the way up to your large-scale development and obviously you've still got your your sheds, your decks, your pools that do require council approval too. Okay, cool. And and do they generally charge a, a fixed fee or is it per hour? Like uh, what's usually the structure there? Yeah, so depending on the types of work you want to do, um, we would then give you what an estimate would be. It's definitely not an hour. It's a package rate of what we would require then to lodge your application and then keep you mindful of the other reports that would be required from other subconsultants. Okay, so I've, I've engaged a town planner. I've had all these checks and balances done. I've I've taken my submission to to council. Councils do they generally come back and say you need to? If I'm working with someone like yourself, yeah. Do we do we get an A mark and a tick straight away, or do, <laughs> do they? Because in my experience, councils will always come back with something. Yeah, and look, it does vary on the development and also what you're needing to address and what the scale you're wanting to do. But we would manage it all from lodgement. You'd have to pay council fees for your lodgement of application, so that would go straight to council. Your development would get reviewed. It could go on public notification. Your neighbours would get notified. Council may come back with some questions. That's when your town planner would answer them and resolve them, and then you would look at going through the approval process and getting that sorted. Sure. And time frame wise, how long is a piece of string? string? But yeah. uh, generally, uh, like I know around here, Central Coast Council, they've they've generally been about eight to 12 weeks full development in and out. Yes. Um, would you think that's consistent if they were dealing with someone like yourself or is that fast, slow otherwise? Yeah, no, that's about spot on. Um, definitely if we're addressing all things straight up, it can make it a lot smoother process. There's no RFIs or anything involved. Um, you're just going through the internal referrals, addressing anything that could come up with council and then assisting them along the way. Mm. And and in your experience, uh, we've, we've seen something that's a, a red flag and it's going to be addressed and there's going to be some time spent to, to make sure it's a, now a, a tick from council. How long are these things blown out because of X, Y, Z in the in the assessment? Yeah, look, it can definitely can take time, especially if you are your development is getting referred to the RS. ARFS, as for say. For Which is a rural fire service. Correct, yes. rural fire service. So definitely that can take time as that is then out of council's court and it's actually governancy referrals. So council's waiting on them to respond to then be able to keep going with assessing your development application. So there is things like that that are external referrals that are out of the council's control too. Okay. So what are your real red flags? Which ones do you look at and say, oh, this site's got this, this is going to take another eight weeks. If you're subdividing bushfire, because that straight away goes to your rural fire services to look at uh-huh. and check that development. So we can definitely allow at times up to three months for them to assess that. Really? 
Yes. Wow, three months. Yeah, so it, it can. It, it comes down to the competence of who you're dealing with and the timeframes and how busy they are. Because councils get busy, exactly. fire service get busy. How? Um, yeah. What referrals your development is triggering? Mm. Triggering. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting stuff. And it's all for developers. It's it's uh, it's cost, isn't it? It is cost. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Going back to the start again about okay, am I going to buy this block or not? Generally. In a hot market, you won't get a lot of time to do your due diligence. You won't be able to get all these reports done. You won't be able to go to the RFS and get that assessed before the (laughs) the vendor accepts your offer. So where's that fine line, do you think, between saying, yeah, this is a goer, it's going to have these issues, but we'll deal with that. We we know we can get a result. Yeah, I think it's just being understanding what the issues are to begin with and what you could be up for and how long that could take to address. Um, Just preparing advice and looking at the property itself, we would identify them issues straight up that you should be aware of and then the other key people would need to get on board when you are ready to develop. Okay. And I would imagine that that someone like yourselves would see the process right through till when it's actually complete or where does your job finish? Yeah. So we look all the way up to you've got your development application approval and a lot of people think, oh, awesome, I can start building. But there is another process before you start building, um, getting your building or construction certificate, as we call it in New South Wales. Other states may call it your building application permit. Okay. Um, and we manage that. So at that point, you can go through council um, for getting your construction certificate or through a private certifier, um, which we have private certifiers that we work with as well and would manage the documentation you would need to start that building process. Sure. So in relation to that, New South Wales, you've, you've mentioned um, to me offline that they've got what's called an e-planning spatial viewer. Yes. Um, and, that, and that's an online tool for overviewing of your site. Um, and that shows your details regarding your bushfire and your biodiversity values that you mentioned. Yeah, it's got them overlays. Okay, that's pretty cool. So can I go on there free of charge or is that a login subscription process or do I need to go through someone like yourself to access that? What's the uh, story there? Yeah, anyone can have a look. Um, It's through their council website as well. They've got mapping systems and your e-planning spatial viewer. That is free of charge for anyone to look at and understand. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So again, if you're living in another state, you just need to check what your state has. Um, But this is called an e-planning spatial viewer, which is is pretty cool. We might actually provide a link in the show notes so it gives everyone else reference to, to what they're looking for. But there is a lot of information out there jumping onto council websites and looking at bylaws and and you can cross off a lot of this before you come and speak to someone exactly. like yourself, right? But yes. um, but having you hold hold their hand through the process, uh, again, I would imagine decreases stress levels. Big time. Um, takes a lot of the time and research out of it for the client. If you're a full-time developer and that's all you do for a living, then <laughs> Different great. Different story. <laughs> <laughs> but even then you can become sick and tired of, of dealing with various people yes. or teams. Yeah. Um, but I suppose in, in summary, and there's a lot of awesome stuff here today, we've just really got to understand who's on our team and, and what they're doing for us. Yes, and having the correct people in the room that are supporting your development and keeping you up to date throughout and knowing what you need to cover off. That's yeah. a big key one. Okay, that's awesome. Lauren, any I suppose, final tips for, for developers out there. You might already be a developer or you want to be a developer one day. And when I say developer, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. So don't think that to be a developer, you need to go and uh, buy a five acres and subdivide into <laughs> 200 lots. Like it, it's just as simple as um, building a granny flat or, or 
an extension on a on a home yeah. or subdividing a block and building two townhouses a any any tips for them out there that we haven't sort of mentioned today just doing your homework and knowing your site or knowing the site you're wanting to do it on and the permissibility and working with your local council engaging a town planner on how they can help you identify the constraints or anything you need to be mindful of that start of the site before you start getting into drawing the plans and getting the builders on board and all the rest of it yeah okay one quick question um, development application process you spoke about, start to finish, the council need to tick that off. Yes. Um, what's the difference between that and a complying development? Yes. So a complying development is um, a different process altogether. That doesn't need to go through council. You can look at going through a private certifier, but again, <laughs> it's making sure you stick with them legislative requirements. Um, it is quite strict. So sometimes bushfire prone land, that could knock it out altogether and you'd need to go down the DA process. So it is a quite rigid process to make sure you're complying to then be able to skip council and go more to a private certifier for say. Sure. Okay. So if I can prove to the council that, yeah, it, it ticks all the boxes, yeah. I can go through that compliant development, I, I the process will be a lot quicker. It, yes, it can definitely be a lot quicker and your town planner can do an audit for you to see if it's something that could go down the complying development lines for say. Right. And in a lot of cases, it, when someone's going through a complying development, neighbours might not be aware that what's happening in mm. that development process. Whereas a full DA, a letter would go out to all the neighbours, they'd be aware of um, yes. and they can yeah. give feedback and yeah. make commentary. Yeah. We also do work on the other end for helping people with submissions. So if there is a development going on near them next door that they're not sure about or wanting to know it complies, um, that is something you can engage your town planner for as well as getting a bit more of awareness of development that's going uh, on cool. near you. So okay. So I've got a too. development project next door. Yep. Yeah, I know it's going to give me some grief and I'm going to do everything in my powers to shut it down. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Uh, I, I would contact you as well and say, look, jump in my corner. We could definitely have a look and see if there's anything that we could feel that's not compliant or are they addressing overshadowing or noise or acoustic right. traffic? Yeah, so definitely something a town planner could help you look yeah. at okay. that side too. All right, so the elephant in the room, the, the cost to engage someone like yourselves, um, I'm hearing it's probably around that four to five K mark that might be sort of um, from start to finish, you'll be in our corner helping us through the development. And and if we're standing on our feasibility to make 100,000 and less stress for me at the front end, I'm in every day of the week. <laughs> yes. All right. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. Definitely depending on your development, um, your more one lot subdivisions and your dual occupancies can be around that figure. But obviously the more development you're doing, the larger subdivisions, the larger scale, that fee can go up. So definitely great to chat to a town planner and get their fee proposals. Yeah. Okay. So the time spent is, is relative, of Big course. Time. Yeah. yeah. So if there's more issues, more costs. Yeah. And definitely yeah. more we need to address in the legislation to show how it can comply. Yeah. And someone like bushfire, would they they charge us for, to yeah. go and assess? Yep. Yeah, so we're very lucky where um, I work, we have our own bushfire planner on board and in-house, okay. so we would charge an extra fee for them to do their report. But then ecologists, that would be a separate report. Same with your stormwater drainage, that could be around the 2, 3K mark even yeah. up further, depending what you're wanting to do in your site constraints. Okay. Yeah. I've got a good friend of mine locally who does that for, for a living. So oh, good. runs his own show. So that's always good to, to give him a quick call. Definitely. Um, so yeah, Lauren, this has been awesome. Um, I've learned a few things um, and, and, and I'm pretty sure everyone listening in would have done the same. Um, so I'm thinking about a block here on the coast, which is literally less than a K from us. And it's been sitting there for probably three months, 
maybe closer to six. I don't know, just time's <laughs> yeah. fine. With a, a big for sale sign, expression of interest, we've got some development approval there to build something. I'm, when I'm listening to this and asking you questions, I'm thinking, yeah, something doesn't add Why up. has it been there for Why so long? Why has it been there? Is it overpriced, whatever, and has it been a town planner engaged to understand what the total costings are? Is this owner just walked away because it's all too hard for 100%. them? 100%. And you do see that a lot. Why has that been there for so long? Mm. Oh, because, you know, it has this constraint or this you've got to address. So yeah. definitely something to be prepared for before you purchase. Yeah. So first-time developers or anyone else out there, don't just think that because you can build four townhouses on it, <laughs> that it's going to make you some money. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Uh, so where can we, obviously for anyone around the country, hard to engage someone uh, like yourself in Newcastle, but your company is called Perception Planning? Yes. Yep. yep. So we're located in Mayfield, um, but we do development all around the Hunter. We've even gone in all up to New South Wales to Tweed Heads. I've got some in Kempsey at the moment. So we definitely spread ourselves out. Awesome. And you were at our Sort Your Career Out uh, book launch, yes. I believe. Yes. You've, uh, did you purchase a book? We did. We got a book for free. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Okay. It was good. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's good. So if you haven't checked that out, check that one out as well. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. And to everyone else, um, thank you for your support and we will see you next time. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.